Well, good evening. It's good to see you here, and thank you to Philip, thank you to the band, and thank you to Nicole and William as well. Thank you so much, guys, for sharing your story with us about how God has saved you and is bringing you along, and we're super encouraged as well. I'm coming to you, William, if I need to know any of these Tyrone sayings, I tell you, I'm coming to you, bro. I'm coming to you, okay? No one else. You've got it. 1 Thessalonians 5 is where we're going tonight. 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm going to read the first 11 verses of this chapter together. 1 Thessalonians 5. Let's begin at verse 1 of chapter 5. This is God's word. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you've no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there's peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you again in these moments as we have opened and read your word. Thank you that your word speaks even as we read it. But now as we consider it, we ask again that you would speak to us in powerful ways, and that we would be those who would be recipients and ready to receive all that you want to share with us tonight, all that you want to say. Lord, speak to those who are outside of the kingdom, don't know Jesus, don't trust him. Lord, convict them, we pray, and bring them into the fold. We pray that you would encourage your church as well, and that this would be good for building us up in our faith. And so, Lord, bless us in these moments, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here's a question. How's it all going to end? How's it all going to end? Do you know, that's a question many people have asked over the millennia. Maybe you've been asked that question by somebody. How's it all going to end? How will the earth and all of human existence end? Well, that question is not a new modern question. In fact, we've turned to 1 Thessalonians and chapter 5 tonight. And here, Paul, the Apostle Paul, 
wrote to the church in Thessalonica about it. And yet, before the verses that we read tonight from chapter 5, if you just cast your eye up to the previous section, you will see not only does Paul speak about the end time, the time where the earth will finish and Christ will come, but actually there's a concern from the church, and we want to just pay attention to this for one moment. Their concern wasn't necessarily about how it's all going to end, but also about those who have died, those who have, those whom they loved and have died. Whereabouts are they? Whereabouts are they? Remember, we can't take for granted what we know here in the 21st century, because in that first century, this was all new. This is a new church beginning to understand the things of Jesus. And so they're worried about them. You look at just 13 and 15, you'll see that there. And then you scroll down to verses 16 and 18, and you see that Paul says this, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. That's how it's going to end, with a voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of the Lord, and the dead in Christ will, be, will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. You can go and look today and even type in that question, which I did, how will it all end into Google? Thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands of results. People have tried to give explanation to it. But let me tell you this, there will be no asteroid blast. There will be no extreme temperatures from the core of the earth that will burn up the crust. There will be no boiling sea temperatures. There will be no extinction of the sun. No, in fact, the sun himself with a capital S will come and he will take his people to be with him. He will judge and then he will recreate. Now, we haven't got time to look at all of that tonight. But Paul does say here in the verses that we read, he speaks of a final day, doesn't he? The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And tonight I want to just take these 11 verses before we take this Lord's Supper, which we're going to do tonight together. And I want to break it up into three points. Three simple points. First one is this. No escape. Secondly, no surprise. And thirdly, no other way. No other way. No escape, no surprise, and no other way. No escape. Look at verses 1 to 3. In the verses proceeding, as I've said already in, in chapter 5, Paul has informed the church that those who love Jesus and have died are now with him in heaven. I'm sure as he said that, in that simplicity, I'm sure that was a great comfort to the church. All those who love Jesus and have died are now with Jesus in heaven forever. That's a simple truth that we all know, isn't it? But just think about it for a moment. How wonderful is that? And they would have filled, that would have filled the church with great hope. However, Paul wants to remind them of someone else. Those who didn't love Jesus, those who die not knowing Jesus, not trusting him, die in their sin, as we say, those who rebel or have rebelled against Jesus, well, they have an end too. And Paul has to say to the church what that is. And we see that in verse 3. It says, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. 
as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will what? Not escape. Those who believe in Jesus, that means eternity with him. Those who are enemies of God, that means eternal conscious destruction away from Christ in a place called hell. But Paul reminds the church here, and us today, we have no need to write anything to you. Did you see that in the first verses? We've no need to have anything written to you. Why does he say this? It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Well, firstly, they didn't need to know any more about the time of all of these things, when Christ would come and take those who love him to be with him, because nobody knows except the Father. See, when we're thinking about that time when Jesus will come back and take his people to be with him, we do not know when that will be. Matthew 24 and 36 says, But concerning that day, that final day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only who? The Father in heaven. Acts 1 and 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. And yet, secondly, from Paul's teaching here, in 1 Thessalonians 5, when he was sharing these things with the church in Thessalonica, the church knew enough about what was knowable about that final day to spur them on into godly character. However, Paul does give seven powerful indicators He does in these moments, even though he can't say when that time will be. And even today, even tonight, we don't know. It could be this evening that the Lord will come back and take those who love him to be with him. But Paul, 2,000 years ago, writes seven things that indicate that are truths about how that day when the Lord returns will pan out. Just look at them here. The Lord will come like a thief in the night, verse 2. A thief in the night. Just think about a thief in the night for a moment. What's that like? Maybe you've had that awful experience. Well, it will arrive without invitation. You don't invite a robber into your house, do you? It will come without invitation. And it will be unannounced. It is not announced somewhere that this thief will come and will break into your house. No. It is without invitation and it is unannounced. See, thieves don't receive invitations and neither will God be invited to judge. See, there will be no public announcement. There will be no broadcast on the news. It will not be put on social media. It will not be in our papers. We will not know the time. So that's the first indication. Paul carries on and says, he says, while people are saying there is peace and security, the Lord will come. Uh, Not long ago I said that the world desires to have truth and freedom. We looked at that on Wednesday. But I also believe and evidently from what Paul says here that the world also desires peace. And security, doesn't it? It desires that 
It will do anything it can in its power to have it. The city, let's part ourselves back into Thessalonians, the city of Thessalonica desired peace and security. You see, if you do some study into the context of the book, which we did a long time ago as a church, you'll see that actually in Acts 17, verses 6 and 7, that the authorities in this city, they were really concerned because there were a group of people who were preaching a a gospel that was different to what they knew. It was a true and living gospel. And do you know what they said about these people? Do you know what sort of impact that was having? Well, it says in Acts 17, 6 and 7 that this was turning the world upside down. Well, surely if that's the case, and that's what the authorities were saying, they desired the opposite, didn't they? They desired peace and rest. They desired to have that security. And yet what we see here is that Paul says it is in those exact moments when there is peace and security that sudden destruction will come. And that's the next thing, isn't it? It will arrive suddenly when everyone feels like everything's going good and there's peace and security. Then the time will come. And destruction is the next thing will come. It will come upon them, he says. Did we not read that there in verse 3? No unbeliever, no one who doesn't trust in Jesus will escape it. That's why I put no escape as the first point. There's no one who denies Jesus or is rebelling against Jesus can assume that they would be safe in those moments. No, the rebel in those moments will be handed their wages and it will be destruction. And in that moment, those who don't know the law will be sifted out from among the Lord's people. That will even happen in our churches. And that's the sad thing about it, isn't it? Wheat and tares, we thought about that. They look the same. But they're not. And there will be a sifting that will go on. Paul gives the illustration here, doesn't he, of a pregnant woman in labor pains. Now, I've been able to see that twice. It's not, it's not easy. But it is the illustration that Paul gives. And we see in that illustration of a pregnant woman with labor pains three things. Firstly, it's inevitable. Sorry to say that to all the pregnant moms out there. It's inevitable that at some point you will experience some pain. It's irreversible and it's unavoidable. And this is what we know about the coming of the Lord, isn't it? In his final judgment. He said it will take place and so it will. You can't read the scriptures and read that and say, well, maybe it won't. It will. It will. It's inevitable. It is irreversible. Nothing is going to stop him coming on that final day and judging the world. And therefore, under this heading, it's unavoidable. No one will escape it. You will either be with Christ or you will be without him. You will either spend eternity with him or you will spend eternity away from him. Well, let's move on and let's see that there is no surprise as well. No surprise. Or at least there shouldn't be a surprise. 
I know that seems a little bit odd because we don't know when the time is coming, but let me just work this out, okay, so you can see what I mean by saying no surprise. You see, in verse 4 to 8, we see that Paul shifts his instruction here to the spiritual lives of the Thessalonians. Yes, we won't know the time, and therefore that there will be some who will be surprised because they don't know and don't trust Jesus. But those who do know Jesus and trust in him and have life in him, or in Christ, as we call it, they should not be surprised about this. Because they're not in darkness. What does that mean? That means that because of Jesus... And because of what he has done in our lives, because of our sins forgiven and our lives surrendered to him, because we have the Holy Spirit who now dwells in us as a gift from Jesus, we no longer live in darkness. We live in light. We serve the light of the world. And therefore, this day that we're talking about, this day that Paul talks about, the day of the Lord, that final day, should what in verse 4? Should not surprise you like a thief. We talked about that thief, didn't we? Well, if we're in Christ, it shouldn't surprise us like that. Why? Because we are children of the light, children of the day. And because you are children of the light and the day, look at verse 6. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. If we're children of the light, then we are to do what verse 6 says. We must be awake, alert, sober-minded, self-controlled, ready and prepared, expectant. And then Paul goes on in verse 7 to say this. For those who sleep, sleep at night. For those who get drunk, are drunk at night. See, those who are asleep here, it's not talking about physical sleep, it's talking about spiritually sleeping. They're asleep, spiritually speaking. You look back into verse 4 for a moment and look at verse 13. It says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. See, that previous word, sleep, describes an activity. But this here, this word sleep, if we translate it from the Greek, describes an attitude. An attitude. And so Paul talks of people who are spiritually asleep and as if they are drunk. What does that mean? Not aware of what is going on and what is going to happen. Their minds are dull and in darkness as if they were drunk. They are asleep. This is, this is iconic, isn't it? Because this includes those with busy lives. You look at this and you, you see, you sort of have in your mind a sort of person like this who's sleeping and is drunk all the time. And, but no, hold on a moment. What Paul is talking about includes people who are extremely busy in their life. Those who have great businesses and are successful. Those who have great financial security. Men and women who think they're safe and sound in this world. That's who he describes. But Paul says they're asleep. Asleep to all of this. They're consumed by what is going on in the world, but actually they forget that there is something that is going to happen. 
that the scriptures talks about, which is inevitable. It's, it cannot be changed. It's going to happen. And, and Christ himself is going to come back and he's going to judge the world. But you, says Paul, my Thessalonians, are alert. You're awake. You are sons and daughters of the light of the day. And therefore, stay awake and sober-minded. Keep your eyes up from this world that we live in. From all that's going on around you. From this city that you live in, which is just full of paganism and evil. Keep your eyes on Jesus. For us as believers tonight, those who sit here tonight and are sure that their life is in Christ. And we've heard of two tonight. Nicole and William have shared that. In, simple, in a simple but a wonderful way. Those of us who are believers, if we need to be more awake or more self-controlled, then we need to be more aware of the reality of Christ's coming. See, Paul writes these things to them because he wants them to be reminded that this day is coming because we get so caught up in the world that we live in sometimes that we forget. But yet when we think about it, when we keep our eyes on that day, that final day when this time will be done and a new time will start, when we're there with him forever. Oh, that changes how we live now, doesn't it? That changes how we live now. It moves us again to remembering that we are people, we are children of light, and we want to live in the light. How? Well, Paul suggests how we do that. How do we live in this day and age with that in view as Christians? He says in verse 8 about putting something on. He says, but since... We belong to the day. Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet of hope of salvation. We're to be dressed in these clothes. We're to be clothed in faith and love and hope, awaiting that day when he will return, living this way with these attributes so that we may be clothed with these when he comes for us. You see, those who do not trust in Christ, when he comes, they essentially, spiritually speaking, will be found naked. Not with these clothes that Paul talks about, no. Definitely not. Spiritually naked, unclothed, sleeping with immorality and unrighteousness and ignorance and drunkenness and secularism as their offering to God. How sad will that day be? For them. How devastating will it be? But those on the other hand, and Paul continues to make these, con these contrasts, those who wait by God's grace and those who are clothed in righteousness with the attributes of faith and love and hope firmly established in and on their person, oh, well, they will wait with that wonderful hope. Because on that day, he will come and he will see his bride clothed in these things. And he will say, Come on in, good and faithful servant. So we've seen that those who are outside of Jesus, those who don't believe in him, there is no escape from the coming judgment of Jesus. We've seen that for those who love Christ, his coming shouldn't be a surprise to us and we should be prepared for that day and waiting expectantly. But now Paul firmly hits home as he tells us that there is no other way. No other way. Look at verse 9 to 11. 
What do I mean by the phrase, no other way? I mean that there's no other way to escape destruction. There's no other way for sins to be forgiven. There's no other way to be prepared for heaven than through Jesus. Just think about it for a moment. Jesus didn't destine the Thessalonian church to judgment and wrath, did he? You only have to go back to chapter 1. We haven't got time to read those verses. And in chapter 2, to see that he chose them, in verse 4 of chapter 1. And then when you move through chapter 2, you see that he called them. This is Jesus. This wasn't the Apostle Paul. Jesus, before the very foundations of the earth, before time even existed, he chose them. And then he called them into his kingdom. For what? For what reason would he do that? For what reason tonight might he be calling you because he's chosen you? Why? And why for us tonight who love him, has he done those things for us? Well, to obtain, as we read here, to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live in him. You see, our salvation is bought by the blood that poured from Christ on Calvary. It's the highest cost And because of his wonderful grace, if in faith we trust him, we too might obtain that salvation and be welcomed, called in to his kingdom. We may live in Christ now in preparation and then with him for eternity. Let me ask a question as we bring all this to a close. What are you living for? What are you living for? You see, this should be reflected in your life. Whatever your answer was in your head, just in those moments when I asked that question, this should be reflected in your life, in all you do, and in fact, inevitably it will be. And so if we are living for Jesus, then that will be reflected in our life. And if we're not, then that also will be reflected in our actions and in what we say and what we do. And so how will you live? And how will you, in your life, be showing Christ? And tonight, that question, what are you living for, is a most important question for you. See, how we live will point to what we love most. And so you could ask the question again and say, okay, well, if I'm living for that, that must mean that's what I love most. That's a question I think we all need to ask ourselves regularly. And if it's not Christ, on God's word, the wrath of God is coming to you like a thief in the night, as Paul said, like a thief in the night. And yet, but read Paul's words as we finish in verse 11. As he has said all of this, as he has contrasted those outside of Christ and those inside of Christ, and he's he's taken our attention and given it to the final day. He says in verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. 
for those who don't know Jesus and don't trust him, and tonight I'm sure that you won't be with him in, in eternity, you must be convicted of that and be challenged by that reality. And you won't think verse 11 is for you. Well, it's not. It's not very encouraging, is it? But it's a challenge for you. And yet Paul, he wants to, for the church, he wants to encourage them. So for tonight, as we come to take this bread and this wine, as we remember all that Christ has done to make this possible, we can be encouraged. And that encouragement builds us up. We are to always continually remind each other, and I don't know how much we do this, I think we forget that that day is coming. And the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And he will take us to be with him, all those who love him. And that should thrill our hearts. And that should spur us on. Whatever's going on around us. We will know that we're alive in Christ. Then we will live with Christ forever. We no longer need to be surprised about his coming. Because he's made a way for us to obtain salvation, to live with him forever. So let's lift our eyes up from this world which is always looking our attention. Let's look up to the author and perfecter of our faith. The one who is for sure, for certain, 100% coming back to bring us to be with him. And may no one be found outside of his family, outside of the family of God tonight. And all accept the invitation to believe on Jesus and therefore escape the wrath and experience the wonder and joy of knowing and serving the King. The King. And so our prayer tonight, as always, is this. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. And then we're going to sing. And then we'll take the cup and the wine. Father, help us tonight to be reminded to look to that final day and long for it. For those who don't long for it tonight, call them, convict them of their sin. And Lord, bring them into your family that they may look forward to that day. But yet for all of us tonight who will now drink and eat in remembrance of all that Jesus has done to make this possible. Lord, may we be so filled with hope and encouraged And may this spur us on to live for Christ and to proclaim his name every day of our life until he comes. And so Lord, bless us as we do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.